want you to mark chapter 1 of Acts uh, with a marker or some other way. Keep your finger on it if you have to, for we'll be turning to it later on before the end of the meeting. Acts chapter 1. And when you have done that, come back with me please to Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50, the last chapter in the book of Genesis. And keep your Bible open there. And uh, we will bring you to the word of God in a moment. The context here in Genesis 50 is that Joseph has revealed himself to the brethren, his brothers, who over 30 years prior to this sold him as a boy into Egyptian slavery. During his tenure and his toil in the land of Egypt, he found favor with God and with the household of Pharaoh and he was raised, as most of you would know, to second in command and the prime minister of the greatest dynasty then in the world. The Bible says that the Lord was with Joseph. After Jacob, his father, and his family united and all was forgiven of the past, the brothers fell at the feet of Joseph in contrition and brokenness and in fear. And Jacob or Joseph said this to the minister text tonight in verse 19 of Genesis chapter 50, and I want you to feast upon this text. This is our text for the meeting tonight. Joseph answered them in verse 19 and said unto them, Fear not, for I am in the place of God. Now I want these words to ring into your ears and into your mind and into your heart tonight. I'm in the place of God. You see, God not only has a purpose and a plan and a project for every life, but there is a place for every man and woman in God's kingdom. Place where we live, the place where we serve, place where we worship and work and witness. And when you're there, let me say this, when you're there, there's nothing, nothing to fear. For those who are in the place of God, there is nothing to fear. How could there be? We sing sometimes here, there's naught to fear. While he is near, though fierce the conflict may be. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, it was said to the children of Israel, When you go into the battle place, be not afraid of them, for the Lord 
is with thee. And I want to say to you and those listening to me tonight, as you step over into Monday morning and down into the week and into the battles and the storms that we're hearing about this morning, there's one that goes with you. And the one that goes with you will say to you, you have no need to fear. Fear not, I have redeemed thee. Fear not, whatever your lot may be, as you go down into the days of this week. Why should you be afraid when the Savior, and that's the very name that's given to our Lord, our Savior, he is with you. Look unto me and be ye saved, for I am God unto the end of the earth, and there is none else. In Isaiah chapter 19, 800 years before he came, it says, He shall send a Savior, and he shall deliver thee. My dear friend, the Savior, your Savior, will be with you every step of the way into the weak. He has saved us from the past. He has delivered us from so many things in the past. He's a savior that has saved us from the penalty of sin. And their sin has no more dominion over you or I tonight. He will save his people from their sins. And my sins and iniquities on him were laid. Friend, he's the savior from the penalty of sin that we're born in. But he's not only the savior from the penalty of sin in the past. He is our savior from the power of sin and the present. And as we go down into the weak and into the world, all the powers of darkness and all the powers of hell can attack us. But he will deliver us from the power of sin. In, in, the, wor- in, in the word of God, in Titus we read, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto us and make us a peculiar people, a people ready for heaven, a people bound for home. Glory to God, you have nothing to fear when the Savior is with you. He has dealt with the past the penalty of sins in the past and the power of sins in the present and he will deliver us from the future. He'll deliver us from the, from the, from the very presence of sin. He's going to lift us out someday out of this old sinful, wicked and evil world and he's going to take us on to himself. Praise God. He is the savior from the past. He's the savior for the present and he's our savior for the future. He's our savior. But not only is he our savior, he's our shield. He could say to Abram, I am thy shield and thine exceeding great reward. He's not only the Isaiah, the Savior, and Abram, the shield. He says to Joshua, I am thy strength. Be strong and be of good courage. And listen, friend, he's not only the Savior, Isaiah's Savior, and Abraham's shield, and Joshua's strength. He's the church's shepherd. Fear not, little flock. Nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. 
No, there's an awful fear striking God's people in so many different ways with cancers and coronaries and all sorts of things. We're hearing every day of so many young people being struck down with lumps and cancers and pestilences. And those pestilences are part of the laying times in Matthew chapter 24. Pestilences, my friend, they're everywhere. And we're in the last days and we're in the dark days. But the people of God have no need to fear, nothing to fear while he is near, nothing, nothing yet he hasn't given us the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind oh get down into this week and ask God to take away any fear that you have for your children, any fear you have for your health, any fear you have for the future, he remove all fear for he's the saviour he's the shield, he's the shepherd and he's our strength, praise his lovely name you know there's a wee verse in Judges and it says of Gideon that he, every man stood in his place. Every man stood in his place. Joseph could say, I am in the place of God. Tell me, are you in the place of God tonight? Are you in the place that God wants you to be tonight? Do you think about that? Examine your life, examine your heart. Examine your being and your whole doings. Are you in the place that God wants you to be? Because you should be in it, and when you're in it, you'll know you're in it. It's the word the Lord has given for me for some of you this evening. Some years ago, I did two short series, one on the sense of God in wrong places, and the secondly, the sense of God in strange places. And if you study your scripture, you'll get a whole host. You know, I never exhausted them. You get a whole host of God's people that were in the wrong place. And you'll get a whole host of God's people that were in strange places. And I remember that series some years ago. I started with Lot. He went into the wrong place. And if you know anything about the history of Lot and Abram, you know that Lot went into the wrong place because of greediness greediness and pull the, I want to pull the rope on greediness there's a lot of greedy Christians about in these days both he and his uncle Abram were wealthy wealthy in herds and wealthy in flocks and God had blessed them and there was a strife between the herdsmen of Jacob's and the herdsmen of Lot's people and Abram gave, Abram gave Lot a choice he gave him a choice of a place he gave him a choice of all the land that he wanted. He could pick and choose whatever he wanted for himself. And the Bible says that he lifted up his eyes and beheld the well-watered plains of Jordan, the whole land of Jordan. And greed got a hold of him. And he took his flocks and he took his family down in and he pitched his tent in Sodom. And he got into trouble after trouble after trouble and lost most of his family, and damned most of his family, and got into trouble. It took 380 men to, to, of Abrams to bring him back whenever they, they, they stole him away and stole his stuff and all his cattle. He had nothing but hardship. He had nothing but trouble. And the verse after that says that the men of Sodom were wicked sinners before the Lord exceedingly. He lost all, and he damned his family in the place of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And we're living in a day, my friend, when this is an abominable sin today. And if you're in that place or anything to do with that place or anything near that place, you come out of it and flee from it as fast as you can and flee to the Lord and get converted. That's conversion therapy. Get converted and come to Christ. We're in a sad day when fundamental leaders in our land are telling us that they, that, 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 that this is a sin that you're born in. God help us. Just God help us. This is an exceeding, wicked, abominable sin before God. And it's a sin that you need cleansed from and saved from and delivered from and prayed for. And we shall pray for you until you're delivered from such a sin. He took his down there because of, of, of greediness, brought him down into that. Then I took a, a, a wee while on David. He was in the wrong place, and he was in the wrong place because of laziness. There's a lot of lazy Christians too, you know. The time that the kings go out to battle, he was in bed until evening. He sent his men out to fight, and he was in bed. And if you're in bed to the evening time, and if you're in bed to dinner time, and if you're in bed right up till you get up to work, you'd need to get out of it and get out of it quick, or you'll be backslidden if you're not already. If you're lying in your bed, my friend, I'm not talking about the family altar. I'm talking about if you work man, you work woman, you people that are going out, you that get your children out to school, if you're not spending one hour alone a day before God and the door shut and the phone off before God, you will not survive. And you can do that if you want to do it. My friend, there's a cry going out here from this pulpit tonight. There's a need for men and women to get alone with God and to switch off all this whole apparatus that's hammering our minds and into our souls day after day after day. We can't even come into the prayer meeting, but we have a switched on. God help us. This man was in bed until dinner time and he was in laz- he went into laziness and laziness led as it always does to lustfulness and you know what happened when he woke. And I'll tell you, he was in the wrong place. He was a saint in a wrong place. And you're in your bed to dinner time, you're in the wrong place. And if you that's the first of pornography that we nearly have in the Bible, David watching Bathsheba. Nothing new about it. Another thing. Another thing. And if you're at that trade, you're not in the place of God either. You're not in the place of God. Joseph should say, I have nothing to fear. And he said, you fear not, for I am in the place of God. And I tell you, the place of God is a healthy place. The place of God is a holy place. The place of God is a joyful place. The place of God is a place where you can lift your eyes and look up into the heavens and say, Lord, there's nothing that I know between thee and me. Can you do that? Well, you'll only do it if you're in the place of God. Time doesn't permit me to mention the saints of God that are in strange places. But the strangest place of all, for the greatest saint of all, for the greatest man of all, the strangest place that any man could ever be, was the creator and the sustainer and the provider of all things, wrapped in an old torn bandage in a, in a, in a cattle shed, just a span's length depending on his mother. I tell you, 
he was a saint in a strange place. The old torn bandages, that's what the swaddling bands were. The very saviour of the world that upholds all things by the word of his power is reduced down into an old filthy kettle shed. Oh, I'll tell you, he's not only in a strange place, but he was in the wrong place. He should never have been there. He should never have been there, only for, only for our sins. And when they spread eagle them and stripped him naked and nailed him to that old rugged cross, I'll tell you, he was a saint in a strange place, in between the thieves. Oh, bless his lovely name. Bless his lovely name tonight. And then we could go on. Jonah was in a strange place in the fish's belly. Daniel was in a strange place in the den of lions. Paul, the great apostle, was in a strange place when they lowered him in a basket out over the wall at Damascus. Saints in strange places. Saints in wrong places. That's not what I'm after tonight. What I'm after tonight as I close this meeting is saints in the right place and sinners in the right place. And that's why I want you to turn now to Acts chapter 1. Going to have you out in good time tonight. People are tired and weary weather and weary praying. And I want you to open your Bible at Acts chapter 1 if you haven't done that. And we're going to show show you the place of God. The place of God that every saint needs to be. And the place of God sinner where you need to be. You need to be. There's a place for you too. And it's not where you are if you're still in your sin. Now you just watch Acts chapter 1 and I'll give you a wee reading or two from it in a minute. This is the commencement of the early church. This is the blueprint, the manual, down through the centuries. This is the manual and the blueprint down through the centuries for the church. It hasn't changed. Denominations have changed it, men have changed it. Doctrines have changed it, but it hasn't changed. It stands sure. It's the same tonight as it was 2,000 years ago. We have changed so much, you know. So much we have changed and damaged and tweaked and pulled out of the word of God that has made now of none effect. This is the early church and this is the pattern that was set. And if ever there was a day God wants his people in the right place, it's now. This is the hour that you need to make sure fooling about's over. This is the time that every individual, I'm speaking to you Christians, every one of you people of God need to get before God and say to God, listen, Lord, I know the time is short. I want to be in the place that you want me to be when you come. One of the many plagues and pestilences, and that's what COVID was. It's a plague, that's what the Bible calls it a plague, it calls it a pestilence. We have dealt with all that. One of the, one of the many reasons that the Lord, I, I believe, and there are many, that this malady came about us in COVID-19, and one of the reasons as far as the church is concerned, it supports the church. 
It's to sift the church, to shake the church, and shake and sift believers. And God has been doing that. There's no doubt about it he's been doing that. You look over the church, and he's sifting out a remnant for himself. He's sifting out a remnant. This is the day of the remnant. This is the day of the men and women who will not be turning back in the day of battle. This is the day of the men and women who's going to face the foe no matter what comes. No matter what, what, what to say about sodomites. No matter what our government says. No matter what they say about transgenderism. No matter what they say, we must face the battle and we must face it on the word of God even to our death. Well, you say that strong line. Well, you mark my words. I'm going to live to see open air preachers in Northern Ireland in jail. You mark my words now, and I'll be 75 on the first day of July. If you want to buy me a birthday present, that's all right. First day of July. So you remember that. That I'm going to see the onslaught of hell that is upon the church, upon the remnant of God's people. It's not on the whole church, for many of them don't care. Many of them are not concerned. Many of them will just go with, the, with, with what's going on around them. Many of them will agree, even with the great politicians that are up and down. They'll agree with them and vote for them again. But I'll not be. We're in a day when we need to stand and stand for the truth of God's word. Now, if you were to say to me tonight, how do I know if I'm in the right place and the place of God? Well, my friend, there's only one way you'll know that you're in the place of God, and that's the Word of God. That's the infallible, indestructible Word of God. It's not what I say. It's not what Stephen says. It's not what Roy says. It's not what our Constitution says. It's what this book says. This book says. And if you don't want to go by this book, then all right. You go your own way. But if you want to get into the will of God and the place of God and the place God wants you to be, then you will get it from this word. Among the last words our Lord Jesus spoke to his people and his followers just before he ascended is in verse 4. Look at verse 4 of Acts 1. Now get your eyes on that. Let the word feed you as we close this meeting tonight. Here's the words of the Lord Jesus in the next few verses. He's, he's, he's been taken up into heaven. He's ascended. He's gone. It's, Fifty days is over. Ministry is over. And in verse 4 he says, And being assembled together with them, commanded that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which says he, Ye have heard of me. Notice the word command. He commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the Holy Ghost to fall on them. And when you go to verse 9, you see that he was received up in the cloud. And then when you come back down to verse 12, you'll see that they came back. They obeyed his word and they come back into the upper room in Jerusalem. Now I want you to get that tonight. He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. Don't leave Jerusalem. Stay where you are. Until the blessing comes, as we say it. That's what he, now, Jerusalem would have been the last place, or the upper room would have been the last place these men would have wanted to go. Of course, it was Jerusalem that slew the Savior. 
And the last place they they wanted to go, they thought, oh, we'll go here, or we'll go there, or we'll go to the seashore, or we'll go somewhere else, or we'll go up into the mountain, or we'll go somewhere else. No, no, no. God says, here, here's the first command to give them. Go back to the upper room. That's God's place. And don't depart from it. Stay in it. Don't move from it. You see, you can't get that drilled into God's people today because they're not steady, so many of them. They're not faithful, so many of them. They flitter from here to there to yonder. But my friend, we need people that will stand alongside one another in these dark days. That's the cry of my heart. Now, whenever the Lord ascended and the the angel says, why stand ye there gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus whom you see go will come again. And the angel uh, rebuked him. And then they all came back. Did they? 120 of them came back to the upper room. 120 of them came back to the upper room. Well, the word of God tells me that 500 saw him at the one time in the one place. Now you hold on. And I can tell you that the 500 that saw him in the one time in the one place, there's only 120 of them all together coming back. And there's far more than that, I believe. But say, take for instance, 380 of them, 380 of them never came back. They never obeyed the word. I believe on the mountain when our Lord was ascended, I believe they were all there. You can have your own view. They didn't all go back. What a percentage. They missed it. It was only on the 120 that the blessing fell. He didn't say go to the synagogue. He didn't say go to the seashore. He didn't say to give out tracts. He didn't say to preach the gospel. He didn't say to wash feet as he did in the upper room before. He says, just you go. And I'll tell you why he sent them. He he told them to go. They had to obey. There had to be obeying, first of all. Just go where he said to go. And I'm glad that I did that when the Lord showed me to come here. I'm glad I did it. I'm glad, never was as glad in the last months that I did it. And when God says, go, obey him. Obey him. And 120 only obeyed him. And they come back to the upper room. That was the place. That was the place where God was going to bless them. That's the place where God will bless you. He blessed Jacob there. Where? He blessed him when he was wrestling up on the mountain that night, that night of wrestling and prayer. He blessed Jacob. Put a big ring around. There. There. He blessed Elijah. Where? There. When he was at the brook. There. He fed them at the brook. If he didn't went somewhere else, he wouldn't have got fed with the ravens. Oh, how we need this drilled into us. I wish I could do it more simply and more lovingly, but I can't. See, the place of God is not only a place of obeying, but again in verse 4 it says it's a place of waiting. Waiting. The purpose, the place was the upper room. The purpose was to wait. These people didn't know how long they would have to wait. And they didn't know either what was going to happen, really. 
They had no, they had no sense of what, that was going to come in fire, going to come with tongues, and it was going to be the greatest revival that ever broke. They didn't know that. But what they did know was, and what they did do was, we'll obey God. We'll obey God. And if the Lord says, and the Lord says, and remember this in verse 4, you see, it's the promise of the Father through the Son. Notice that in verse 4. Don't miss that wee bit at the end of verse 4. Ye have heard of me. So the Father told them, Jesus told them, and the Father and the Son told them, you wait where I tell you, where we tell you to wait, and the Holy Spirit will come. And he did. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. You get that? You get your pen in under that wee verse there. And that wee verse, ye have heard of me. My friend, if we're not going to obey him, we can't expect to be blessed. How can we? We can't expect to be blessed unless we obey what he says to do. How are these people are going to be baptized on the 27th? They're obeying God. Why would they not? Because he's commanded it. And if you're saved and you're not baptized, I don't care what your excuses are. I don't care what they are. You're disobeying God. And it's the same with this table. Because we'll read on, we will we'll not have time and we're not going to do it, and we'll read on, that this was all part of the place. The place was the breaking of bread, the baptism. That was the place, the place of God, where the Spirit of God would be poured out, the place where souls would be saved in their hundreds and in their thousands. That's the place. There was an obeying. And there was the waiting. One of the most difficult things to do is to wait. And you ask my wife, I'm the most impatient man. I know that. But we're living in a very feverish world. The world, the flesh, and the devil are all enemies of peace and quietness and serenity. Every one of them all hammering at us every day to get our minds off the gospel and the things of God. They'll have us doing anything, legitimate things, good things, with more phones and iPads and tablets and Twitters and tweets and all the rest. But, oh, friend, in quietness and in confidence is your strength. When God said to Moses, now I'm coming to a close, I want to out in time tonight. When God said to Moses, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, he saw a miracle. Wasn't running around, wasn't praying, wasn't excited, wasn't shouting what are we going to do. Stand still. And the Red Sea lifted. When Moses stood still, he saw a miracle. And Naomi said to Ruth, sit still. She saw the man. You young couples, just sit still now. Sit still. Don't you just run at the first bait. You'll end up in disaster like so many others. Sit still my daughter. 
hear that? Maybe this was some young girl tonight. You just sit still and watch and wait. God will bring the man. He'll bring him in his time and he'll bring the right one when he does. Oh, yes, he said to Moses, stand still. And he saw the miracle. And he said to Ruth, sit still and you'll see the man. The psalmist says, be still and know. And he saw the majesty because we read, and I will be exalted in the earth. Be still and know. But I am God. Wait. Thou on God. I don't know what's going through your mind now. I don't know what's begging your attention tomorrow and next week. But I know that when you look back in the past like I did, I regretted I didn't wait for some things. You don't want to make the same mistake again, so you don't. Wait thou on God. The psalmist says, My soul wait thou on God, for my expectation is of him. Quickly, it was a place of obeying. That was the place God told them. Not the place they really wanted to be. And it was the place of waiting. As I said, no tracks, no preaching. No suppers, no washing of feet. Waiting and praying. Verse 14. They all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Friend, you're never more in the place of God when you're in the prayer meeting. Never more are you in the place of God. And there's something wrong, something wrong with a child of God who claims to be saved if they're not in a prayer meeting in the church once a week. Friend, you go over last week and see the time you spent on so many other things. Just get a sheet of paper and write down all the things that you've done and all the legitimate things and all the things that you've done and then on the margin decide time to give to God. Well, it should be the other way about. You're never more in the place of God than when you're in the place of prayer. And we're putting, there's going through this church about a hundred, there's going a hundred more people backed off a wee bit because of the weather, but there's over a hundred a week passing through this place in the prayer meetings, Monday, Wednesday and Friday. You join them. Join them. Because you cannot have a hundred people passing through a prayer meeting in a week in the presence of God that we have here in this place, you can't have it without blessing. And we're having blessing. The things that have been done through the prayer meetings. Listen, if you, wee child, tomorrow found a lump, and God help all these people, all these youngsters that are getting these lumps. There's hardly a week coming in, but I'm getting a request for prayer from families. And I could spend my time and maybe will end my time doing nothing, only praying. 
Man, have you a wee child, you say, oh, tell them people in the life will pray for me. Pat's niece rushing and the whole family steeped in Catholicism. Young girl, how in the lump of Pat pray for us. Her mother called with us the other day. I says, Mary Rose, we are praying three nights a week for you and your family down here. Don't be praying when it's too late. Don't be raising the alarm when it's too late. We're praying. I wouldn't have time to go on. They were obeying. They were waiting. They were praying. They were believing. They believed what the Father said. They believed what the Son said. They believed. And of course there was teaching for Peter stood up and he opened up the word. And if you're not in a place where they're not teaching the word, you get out of it as quick as you can. Peter opened the word and he went way back into the Psalms. And he brought an exhortation from the Psalms about something that needed to be required and needed to be done before the blessing would come. And we need to get into the word and see, is there anything in this word that's hindering the blessing? I tell you, it was good teaching. We need to get into the word. Ten days time. I shook the world. Shook the world and we're living in the blessing of it since. And the power of God came down. Little did they know. Oh, I wonder those that weren't there. How they felt. Now let me close. I want to speak in closing to those of you who are not that are not saved. And if you're not saved, you're not in the place of God. Nor God doesn't want you in the place you are, sinner either. You hear that? He doesn't want you in the place that you are. The place of the sinner is a far off from God. Ephesians 2 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who one time were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. You can come close to God. You can come near to God. You can have the Lord in your life tonight through the blood of Jesus if you will come. The blood will bring you nigh. And as I close this message with the gospel, listen, there's a better place than the place that you're in. And my friend, there's a far better place than the place that you're going to if you die in your sins. Young man, if you die in your sins, if that tractor was to overturn on you tomorrow, if that car was to strike you tomorrow, you'll be out into a lost hell, burning and turning and turning forever, where God has forgotten to be gracious. Wake up tonight. Wake up tonight. Man, that lump could hit you. Man, cancers are hitting people, and they're dead within three weeks. You mightn't get time to repent. You'll not get time to repent if some madman pulls out in front of you in the morning. You'll not get time to repent, my friend, if, if something falls on you in the workplace. You'll not get time to repent. You'll be out into hell, burning, churning in hell forever. That's where you're going. 
Make no mistake about it. Christ didn't come to the cross. The creator of all things, the Son of God, didn't let men strip him naked. Didn't let men mock him. Didn't let men crown and hammer thorns down in his brow. Didn't let men slack his back and he never opened his mouth. And every bone in his body went out of joint. And they put that cross down, down into its socket. Every bone came out of bound. The Son of God, the creator, the eternal God of heaven, dying on the cross. He didn't do it for nothing. He didn't do it. Why did he do it? You laugh and you mock at the gospel. And say it's old-fashioned and it's no good, my friend. You're going to need, oh, but I'm young, I'll not die. Well, well, listen, you just listen to the news. If you want, I'll give you the prayer list going out. From, from, from 10, 11, 12, 15, 16, 17, 18, 20-year-olds. If ever anything drives me to these prayer meetings as that, Behold, now is the accepted time. Come now, let us reason together, said the Lord. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. Christ died for the ungodly, and he rose again, and he wants to save you tonight, and he wants to bring you nigh tonight, and he has brought us nigh to the blood of his Savior, and you can come. Come now, let us reason. Come, for all things are now ready. Come, sinner, come, sinner. Flee, sinner, from that place that you're in. It's the place of damnation. Come to the place called Calvary. There they crucified him. Come to the cross. Come to Jesus tonight. Don't leave it. Another minute. I knew an old man. And I finish with this. He was an old man when I knew him. His name was Alec Cato. He joined the Metropolitan Police during the war. He was from Aberdeen. A great preacher. Man of God. I preached with him. I was on the same pulpit as him when he was an old man in Aberdeen. And Alec Cato told the story that I can't remember whether it was himself or a colleague of his who were on beat duty in some part of the streets of London. And it was a foggy, dark night. And a young boy of six years of age came running and caught a hold of his tunic and cried, Sir, I'm lost. I, don't, I can't get home. I don't know how to get home. And the policeman put his arm around him and said, Son, which way is it that? Do you think it's that way or this way? He said, it's this way. So he walked along with him with his hand around the wee boy. He says, is it up this road? He says, no, is it down the road? He says, he says, tell me, son, this. Is there anywhere near your house where you live? Is there anything that you remember? Anything that you see when you come out of your house? He says, there is. He says, there's a big building. And he says there's a man on the cross, on the cross, at the front of it. Oh, he says, I know, that's the chapel. So he took him down the street and up another street. When he come to the chapel, the wee fella, he says, that's the cross. That's my home. That's my home. You'll only get home 
by the way of the cross.